Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode nine of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in legends and canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, covering chapter 16, and I am once more joined by digital artist and co-host of the Imperial Coffee Break podcast, Chad Fagan. Chad, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for coming back on for the conclusion of our two-part series. Absolutely. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into uh, chapter 16, which was... You know, a, a pretty. Uh, there's a lot that happened with um, Arinda Price and intersecting once again with uh, Thrawn. So I'm looking forward to breaking that down. Yeah, let's dissect some juicy details. Yeah, let's get into it. I'll give my summary and then we'll uh, we'll break it down. All right. Atlas invites Arinda Price to his office for a spontaneous sparring session. Although wary of the sudden request, Price agrees to meet. Once there, Atlas reveals that Moff Gotti is his employer much to Price's dismay. Gotti accuses Higher Skies of trying to destroy him, claiming they were responsible for a recent raid on one of his mines. Price convinces Gotti neither she nor Driller knew about such a plot, but Gotti nevertheless tells her to report to him on all of Higher Skies' dealings. Trying to avoid being trapped by Gotti yet again, Price seeks help from Thrawn. Price discovers that Gotti is selling unregistered dunium, but Thrawn refuses to immediately pass the information on to the ISB. Determined, she offers to help Thrawn against High Command's plots against him if he agrees to help her sooner. Price plans to use Gotti's rivalry with Grand Moff Tarkin against him. So we are back with Arinda Price in this chapter. And uh, we're, we're immediately thrown back into her kind of relationship with Atlas since she had uh, started these private self-defense lessons with him. And we don't know how long that's been going on for, but they've been able to you know, get to know each other a bit better to the point where Price kind of considers him as maybe as a friend. And it seems like there's almost maybe like a love interest in the air because Atlas had missed the uh, previous couple of sessions and Price thinks to herself that, yeah, she was disappointed that she missed the lessons, but that she'd also been enjoying Atlas's company. Um, was that just me or did you uh, did you think that, is there maybe a potential relationship here that, that seemed to be implied? Yeah, there was definitely some romance or uh, flirting going around in the air. So that's definitely what was going on. I definitely believe that from the cues that they described in the chapter and the way her thoughts were going about, uh, I absolutely believe that that's what was going on. And it wasn't just a friendly professional relationship per se. Um, I think there's a little bit more to it. Uh, would you agree on that? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. And especially where we you know, we're going to soon see her reaction to Atlas actually, you know, having been kind of Moff Gotti's agent, having been purposely put to work with her from the start. And we'll see her reaction to that and how just the wide range of emotions she feels towards that truth and seeing that she kind of got betrayed by him. And we'll get the sense there of how she had come to trust him and all that. And you know, it is kind of a roller coaster ride for Price, as most of her chapters have turned out to be. 
And I guess before we get any further, what were uh, what were your thoughts take away on this chapter? You know, where we kind of get a lot of a lot more insight into why she's kind of adopted this lone wolf method. You know, having been betrayed by Atlas, as we'll come to discuss. But then she also seeks help from Thrawn. So you know, we know that she's she comes to realize that there's only so much she can directly handle. Where you know she she has to end up reaching out for help. What were your thoughts on the chapter? Yeah, I think it it really highlights what you said, that lone wolf type of aspect she's going for. And, you know, she's being betrayed by bunches of people around her and everyone's kind of turning against her in their own selfish way. So I, I think when I, you know, when I look at her character, it makes sense in her mindset that to fight fire, you know, don't just stand down and like take it or follow by the rules. You know, you got to fight fire with fire and do everything you can in your power, whether that's breaking the rules or sneaking behind people's backs, stabbing them in the back. And, you know, I think this this is the character that she's turning into. She may very well have some close allies, but I think for the most part, she's using all of her allies as tools, whether they're Thrawn or any higher up, just to basically use to her own self-advantage and get higher up or wherever she's seeking to go. Yeah, that's a good point where we'll see how that narrative of using the relationships around her as tools, as assets play out over this chapter, uh, where it's kind of adopting a mentality similar to what we've seen from Thrawn, where he very much views the people around him as assets. Um, So it's a very, you know, throughout the book, Price has kind of been Thrawn's political counterpart, so to speak, and we'll see that mentality really start to formulate where you know, once again, she gets betrayed, and I feel like the response that we see here to what unfolds between her and Moff Gotti is very, it's much more mature and prepared than when he first uh, was able to trap her in the larger game that he's playing at, at hand. So, you know, building up to that, you know, she agrees to meet Otlas at the office that he specified to her. And on the way there, she's trying to do some research and see if she can find out whose office it is, who Otlas has been working for this whole time, because he has, you know, been this bodyguard that he wasn't allowed or able to disclose who his employer was. And, you know, when she gets to the office, Otlas is seeming very distant, very distracted, and as a reader, we could instantly get the air that there was something wrong here. And Price very well knows that too, but her line of thinking is, you know, she's already at the office, she's already there, might as well see what's playing out here. And I kind of thought about the scene in Empire Strikes Back when the squad is at Cloud City and the doors open to the dining room, whatever, and they see Vader, where Atlas kind of opens this office door and she walks in to see Moff Gotti, someone that she just totally was not expecting. But, you know, it's it's the last person that you wanted her to meet there. What were your thoughts on kind of that reveal? Yeah, it absolutely got Empire Strikes Back feels when that happened, too, when I was reading that for the first time. She was definitely more prepared this meeting than she was uh, the first time she went around when he planted the spice on her, which got her into a lot of trouble. But I think that she learned a lot from their first meeting and how he acts. And and then she kind of realized how she can use that against him. I mean, even though she was caught off guard, I think she decided, well, I can play into your game now instead of trying to follow by the rules. Because she was working for Senator Ranking at the time. So... I think that 
now that she's less linked to that, she's just going to go to Tarkin, who she knows to be more powerful, basically play at his game. I think you, you said it well, that she finds a way to, to play the game rather than being played. Because she is initially shocked when she sees Gotti, but like you said, she recovers quickly. She's more prepared this time, where the first time that she encountered Gotti and he ambushed her with like the spice once she realized that he had given her the wrong data card. She kind of had a more trusting mentality back then where she thought she could trust ranking. She didn't suspect Gotti of having ulterior motives. And here, you know, she's initially shocked, but she recovers well. And I like the fact where she notices that Atlas starts to cover the doorway because he thought that she was going to make a run for it as soon as she realized who was in the room, but she doesn't. And she notices that Atlas looks a bit confused and she's caught him off guard. And she starts to converse pretty confidently with Moff Gotti, saying that he was the one who had made a mistake of not taking her into his confidence back in the day because she would have been glad to take ranking down and Gotti's kind of confused at this you know he's like wait you take down your own employer and so she has done a really great job of catching both of them off guard and kind of instantly turning the tables against them where they you know they outnumber her there this is a situation that they have plotted and planned and she has really responded well yeah, exactly. And I think she's playing that, you know, game like it's not really lies, but, you know, she's telling everything to him like that he wants to hear. I would have gladly like betrayed my own boss in order to get what you wanted because it would have been for the betterment of both of us. And I think there's some truth to that as well. It's just a survival game, you know, it's, yeah, definitely. it's following it's playing into everyone's hands, you know, so you can keep playing the game. I mean, <laughs> It's kind of like what Kira said in Solo, but, you know, yeah, you stick in it to survive. <laughs> Stay in the game. That's true, and, and Price has really solidified her place in the game now, where that's a good point, where I wonder if she had known of the beef between Ranking and Gotti, if she would have been just glad to take Ranking down if it meant, you know, because she fell pretty far after the initial encounter with Moff Gotti. And, you know, I think that she might have been willing to take Ranking down, where, you know, it's kind of a, a blend between saying what... Gotti would like to hear in this situation, but it's also maybe Price realizing in the moment the truth of the matter where, yeah, she would have taken ranking down because it would have, she probably would be very much further along her path now if she didn't have that whole saga of setbacks that started with Gotti kind of entrapping her the first time. Yeah, and exactly. And I think, you know, since their last meeting, because she's just rising up, you know, at this point in her career. She knows there's always been political games and whatnot in the network, but I think she's quickly come to realize just how ruthless the Imperial leaders are and how they can be for themselves and not for the quote-unquote betterment of the Empire. Whereas other leaders she may recognize as for the betterment of the Empire, such as Yularen, who clearly features that role. Yeah, and we'll see at the end of the chapter, she is becoming very ruthless where... Um... You know, we'll, we'll talk about what, what exactly goes down a little bit further on, but the more ingrained she gets in this game of survival, the more she realizes that if she doesn't take certain steps, if she doesn't throw certain people down or take certain actions, it's very well going to be her career that suffers. So she's grown more mature in the game. Yes, yeah, so Gotti kind of uh, recovers a bit himself, and, and he accuses Price and Higher Skies of trying to destroy him. And... When he said that, you know, I wonder how much truth there is to what Gotti says, but we already know that Higher Skies is already kind of 
suspect. So I I kind of believed him here, where he was telling Price that apparently someone from the group had come to speak to him, and not long after that conversation, there was a raid on one of his mines. And my initial thought here was that we know that Night Swan had been involved with or linked with raids on on mines with rare metals like dunium you know back on umbara that was another instance where it kind of got some maybe some hints here that night swan might be related to higher skies uh yeah absolutely i think um we're clearly coming to the end end road now where we're slowly finding out what's going on with higher skies because i mean you know in the end i i really don't think that they're just going to reveal that you know this is just a facade yeah mind you. or you know th- there's there's clearly something going on with all with all these mishaps and trails going off and i think um thrawn will be a great asset in the finding that out and what's going on and i think for the betterment of him if you know if he finds out that somehow what he's looking for right now with Swan, night swan and maybe they can work together and uh finding out what they want to know yeah, definitely. Because Price is equally caught off guard by Moff Gotti's accusations here, where, you know, as a reader, we, we have already known about the information linking Night Swan to similar incidents, and, you know, she ends up reaching out to Thrawn for help uh, later in this chapter, so, you know, that could very well intersect their paths in relation to finding out more about this Night Swan character, but, you know, she's she's surprised at this, where she doesn't know a lot about Higher Skies, and... You know, she's shocked and she denies it. Obviously, Gotti thinks that she's lying again. And he tells her to call Driller because it's it's his group. And the thinking behind calling Driller here was that, you know, if she told him where she was, if he was related to or associated with any plot to take Gotti down, he might tell her, oh, you like, you know, try looking around, seeing if you can find something, you know, finding some dirt against him, you know, which would be kind of tragic if, I don't know, because I personally, we've got kind of sketchy vibes from Driller himself. I wouldn't really be surprised at this point if he was linked to a larger plot. But he he kind of clears his name here where she does call him and he kind of, he doesn't act like Gotti thought he would. He didn't ask her to look around or anything. He seemed more just surprised and kind of like, all right, yeah, if if you want to be there, that's that's totally cool. Um, Thanks for letting me know. And so... You know, if he had been involved against Gotti, obviously the conversation would be much different. Um, but he, yeah, he was pretty easygoing about that conversation. And Price's next move here takes Gotti again off guard, where, you know, in his accusations against Price, he had remarked that, oh, like, I wonder who's trying to take, like, who's behind this plot against me? I wonder if it's Grand Moff Tarkin. I know he's been wanting to take me down for a while. And she, she takes that bit of information here and uses it in her conversation with Driller, where she tells Driller, like, oh, yeah, I also uh, got a job offer to, to work in Grand Moff Tarkin's office as an associate with some self-defense training experience. Uh, are you going to be okay with me taking that job? And again, if Driller had been involved in this grand plot against Gotti, he would have... His reaction would give it away, Exactly, yeah. He would have been like, oh, wait, no, you you shouldn't do that, because I need you to to keep working with Atlas, because that would be Driller's in to to have a connection to Moff Gotti and some information on him, but again, yeah, his reaction was very different, and he was like, "Uh, if if you want to take the job, fine, I guess. So, 
Driller kind of clears his name. And I wonder if, do you think he was bluffing here? Or do you think that this plot might be even beyond Driller? I think he was bluffing. And I think the sense that I got was that, you know, he's thinking, okay, how should I move forward with this new knowledge now? You know, this is a much bigger fish in the pond that we're dealing with now. So like if I'm thinking from his perspective, you know, you got to be careful because I, you know, I'm sure he knows just how smart Tarkin is, you know, even if they hadn't, hadn't like had personal dealings or whatever. I feel like it's a very, I don't know if public knowledge is the right word, but reputation. Definitely. How meticulous and careful Tarkin could be. So I think, you know, he's got to play it careful because if he really is doing this, then he might not trust her completely. Maybe so. I mean, we'll see if he really is involved or if arrogance gets in the way or because obviously Price is, you know, she's on her own now. She can't trust anyone but Thrawn as we see when they meet in the diner. (laughs) <laughs> which was a great scene um we'll, we'll get <laughs> with to, his glasses and oh everything. yeah we'll go oh, yeah I've, i made some notes about that i thought that was really funny but and that'll be that'll be coming up pretty soon but yeah that's a good point because grand moff tarkin does have a reputation you know he, he's pretty yeah, infamous I mean, within the, the empire have like knew his reputation and maybe it's because they did have personal dealings with him before um as we saw earlier in the book when thrawn was in interrogating but yeah you know i I don't know like you know he's involved in the political chain now so he he hears a lot going around you know he's not just some mechanic on course working and stuff like he knows the network he hears things he hears stories and he hears the feed and stuff so yeah because you know once once a character like tarkin is involved you know because he is involved with the military but he's also a moth a grand moth he's he's involved with the politics of it and so whether there's some larger game between tarkin and Gotti, it seems like there might be but you know driller upon hearing price say that oh she was considering taking a job with tarkin you know maybe you're right that upon hearing that name he knew that he'd have to kind of play it cool and maybe reevaluate i guess we'll see how that plays out it was just very quick thinking by price to kind of get the answers that she was looking for from Driller and also to kind of clear her name with Moff Gotti because, like I I said, if Driller had been involved against him, he might have responded very differently to her wanting to take a job with Tarkin. But she kind of clears her name with Gotti where he kind of grudgingly agrees with her and believes her that she is not involved with this plot against him and that higher skies might not be involved in this plot against him. But nonetheless, he tells her that he would like her, he would forcibly like her to be his informant and spy on the inside of Higher Skies. And he gives her this threat where if she refuses to do that, he would call the ISB and tell them that she came to his office to steal uh, confidential files and that his guy, Otlas, would confirm that. And... I was just really disappointed for Price here because at the beginning of the chapter, we kind of got a hint that she, you know, she kind of liked Atlas. And once Gotti said that, oh yeah, Atlas is also going to confirm these allegations against you if you refuse to do what I say, Atlas kind of just stands there expressionless where he's kind of just this puppet all along that had been planted there with Price. And and Gotti kind of confirms it that he was purposely put to work with Price and that this whole time, you know, he'd never been Price's friend or potential lover. He was just a puppet this whole time. 
pretty much using her and using those feelings against her to fall into his trap, essentially, which played out rather well. Yeah, I mean, until this moment, Price didn't realize that and kind of dawns on her that she had been played. But again, she's more prepared. She, as we'll discuss in this next section of the chapter, she does have kind of a counter plan to Gotti's entrapment. But before we move on to kind of that scene, just with this new betrayal from Atlas and finding out that he had just been playing her this whole time, playing on her emotions and his uh, relationship with her, his working relationship and also personal relationship with her. You know, can we really blame Price for this going at it alone mentality after pretty much everyone always backstabs her and betrays her? No, I, I would definitely have to understand where she's coming from because we know how she ends up down the line. And yeah. so that's what this book is doing is it's leading us to understand how Thrawn and Price came to be um, like they are in the show. So I think as we're slowly understanding, you know, just how people stab her in the back, she's going to stab other people in the back. You know, that's just how it is. And she's got to basically be the, the survival of the fittest. And, you know, and not that that is right per se. There are definitely, and I think we as the reader understand that these things aren't right. But, you know, as someone who's reading from her point of view, we understand that mentality that she's going through and we see her thoughts of what she's going on and how she views these allies and people she trusted or professionally trusted, you know, and then they totally go against her or her family. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to her family in the mine, her family owns, uh, that's a big thing to think about because she has a lot to lose. And so she's trying to rise as much as she can so that she has a lower chance of losing what she has. Yeah, definitely, because her story has been pretty much from the first chapter in the book, from her point of view, she was betrayed right off the bat, where you know she didn't take, uh, what was the name, uh, uh, Governor Azadi's offer to have controlling shares in her family's mind, and then you know her, her mom gets arrested right after that, where pretty much every chapter involving Price has just involved betrayal, and her being on the receiving end of that. And, and you're right, it, it's it's helpful to have the explanation of how she became kind of like the ruthless governor that we know that she becomes in, in Rebels and to see how she got where she is in, in the show. And, you know, like you're saying, it's not necessarily the right thing to do what she, you know, kind of like playing into this game of revenge and backstabbing and plotting against people. But it's either she adapts to play that game or she'll just fall further than she ever has and you know the only thing she can do is to adapt to it which again it's it's on the moral spectrum it's not that great but her options are kind of limited her hand is kind of limited yeah absolutely she clearly does not care about other people she's quickly or slowly i mean depending on how you look at it realizing she shouldn't care for anyone regardless of who they are and there's many characters who would say and work for the betterment of people or the galaxy or whatever. But like she cares about luxury and, and greed and she's she's got characteristics of greed because she just wants to move up and have all of these nice things like she's had on Coruscant compared to when she was on Lothal. I kind of like understandably where she grew up on Lothal, which was kind of the 
I, I don't know if it's, I forget if it's in wild space or if it's close to wild space, but you know, it's compared to Coruscant, it's kind of like a, a nobody planet where, you know, she just, she wanted to leave that and, and strive for something more, which again, I think we see a lot of that and you know, whichever story that we're reading, there, there's always this desire for something greater and Price finds herself in the middle of that, just in the political part of, of that journey. Uh, there's a lot of things from her character's point of view that are we understand where she's coming from, but ultimately, you know, she's on the wrong side, <laughs> the wrong side of it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, Lothal is on the outer rim, I uh, think. Okay. That's where it was. So, yeah, just being on the outer rim, especially, you know, there's not going to be a lot of support from the core. And we, we've seen that in tons of other media. That's how it's grown to be. Um, and during the Clone War, it was especially hard to reach people out there in the outer rim to support them. And, you know, during the time of the Empire, all the core worlds are getting all the luxury, whereas all the politicians or moths or um, whoever are working for their own game. So they feel they don't need to support the people more so themselves more and more. And she realizes as someone who grew up on Lothal, having that happen to them, that she can either suffer from it or join in and enjoy the luxury herself. Because clearly she's interacted with many locals on Lothal that she does not care about them, aside from her own family. It's always interesting to look at the relationship, the strained relationship between the core worlds and the outer rim. And, you know, again, you can't really blame Price for seeing the game that's being played by these politicians where it's either choosing to be in the crowd that gets forgotten by the core worlds or fighting for her place amongst the powerful elite in the core worlds where she can have what she could never have on Lothal. And again, I guess it's... It's a tragic story. It really is. It's a tragic story because you you don't want to see anyone kind of fall to... You know, the, the the dark side, I guess, you know, where she, you know, yeah, she does work for the Empire and she's part of the Empire's politics. But it's just in a book like this, it's very insightful and helpful to understand her character to see why she is the way she is and, and how she became who we know her to be from Rebels, where, you know, in Rebels, a very unlikable character. But it's just a, it, you see her through a new lens in this book when you can see the motivations behind what she does and and really understand how she became to be as ruthless as we know her to be. So, yeah, in this uh, in this next scene after she's faced with this trap by Moff Gotti, she's, you know, reflecting yet again, all right? You know, he's trying to put me into a box. He's trying to trap me again. And I love this quote next. It says, "Only this time Arinda was prepared." And it was going to cost him. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, she, this isn't, you know, she's she's grown so much as a character and she's ready for this, where she immediately starts researching different things for, uh, I think, hours and then places a call through the uh, universal connection system, which I think is like, I don't know, the, the, the phone line that connects all of the universe or the empire. And she sends a message to none other than our boy Thrawn. And, you know, she is asking for his help and, and seeking to meet with him. And that leads us to the diner scene that we had mentioned, um, where it's called the uh, the Gilroy Plaza Diner. And this is in Price's point of view. So we kind of get this image of her walking up to this booth to Thrawn, who is kind of comically undercover. Um, 
<laughs> where he's uh it says that he's wearing a hood and tinted glasses <laughs> and i just like i thought the image of thrawn just like kind of vaguely undercover was kind of hilarious because he already stands out enough as it is with his blue skin but just had an, uh, like taking the the stoic figure in like the white grand admiral's uniform and just picturing him in kind of like this robe and hood and tinted glasses i thought that was really funny yeah, and it's just so, t- it seems like, I don't know if tacky's the right word, but it's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's just silly, considering how we know him to be. Exactly, it's very out of character, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, because he does stand out, and I think Price's comment to this was, was also funny, where she says, and I quote, Nice glasses. With your eyes covered, most people would probably assume you're a Pantoran, said Price. Which is, which is funny, because... Everyone already assumes he's a Pantoran. <laughs> yeah, like a mutated Pantoran, I think, or with like eye problems. Yeah, I with think. an eye condition, I think Angel had said back a couple of chapters yeah. ago. <laughs> Where it's you know people already think he's a Pantoran as it is, and so now it's now he's just a Pantoran in disguise. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that was really funny. Where the disguise doesn't really do much in that respect. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, Price kind of fills him in on her current situation, and she lets Thrawn know that there's this government official that is asking her to spy for him under the threat of turning her over to the ISB. And Thrawn's question here I thought was a little, you know, odd, but we end up seeing why he asked it, where he asks Price if this politician, who, you know, we know is Gotti, but she hasn't told him a name, if he seemed confident in the threat. And Price confirms it, and she goes on to say that she has some leverage on Gotti, where she was researching the mine that he said was raided, and she found out that Gotti has a large vein of unregistered dunium that he was probably selling off, and he doesn't have to pay taxes on it if it's not registered, but he wouldn't confirm to her what exactly was stolen in the raid on his mine, and so she figures that there's something like kind of like this sketchy game that Gotti is involved with, with his mine and his dunium. And she was asking Thrawn to use that information against him. If she could, if he could bring that to the ISB for leverage against Gotti for price. And he agrees to the fact that it is leverage on him that she could use, but he says that he can't do it immediately and that he's going to kind of take his time on the issue because He's convinced that Gotti has someone on the inside of the ISB. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been confident in that threat. So if he would give the information to Yularen to hang on to for a while, that might alert Gotti from his informant on the inside. And it just makes me wonder, how much influence does Gotti have where he's got connections to the ISB, he has this big mind that he's making loads of bank on, like this... I guess we're we're seeing how impressive of a feat this is from Price to try and take someone of Gotti's magnitude down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think basically she's I think she's going to throw him too. I mean, just obviously for advice, but I think it's complicated because she's not sure who to bring information to go to because she's in this sticky situation. So she doesn't know what she should do or if she should just fall into his hands and do what she asked or if she should go to someone else and i think yeah that's a big reason why thrawn asked like was he confident in the threat because obviously he has someone in the isb and if he's got someone in the isb then like you said colonel yarn would undoubtedly have it that information leaked or it could be a potential threat to hold in his hands as long as he is because they could be 
that person, whoever it is in the ISB, could be investigating him or looking into his files or whatever. So I think she's just got to be careful, move forward with what she's got. Definitely. And, I, you know, because we don't know who Gotti's informant on the inside of the ISB is, where, you know, maybe it is Yularen, um, which would be, that would be. <laughs> so terrible if it was because he's turned out to be a very you know likable imperial character but you know yeah, like yeah character for him if we saw that too that, that's interesting but i don't know what do you think about that yeah i mean it's it just makes sense with kind of like the only people that price and thrawn can trust you know we know that thrawn can trust eli we don't necessarily know a lot more about his relationship with yularen but judging just from the way that Thrawn approaches the people around him, he probably just views Yularen as a really important asset and not necessarily a friend. So I don't know like if he necessarily trusts Yularen in the same way that he would trust Eli, where you know it, it would be a very heartbreaking moment if Yularen was the insider. But um, I, I think it's just a, a very mature move by Thrawn to try and delay that because, you know, even if Yularen wasn't the spy, because the information is most secure when it's between Price and Thrawn. And, you know, if you let it out to anyone else, there's always the potential for it being leaked. And so, you know, smart move by Thrawn to kind of rein in Price a little bit. But also, I think just ultimately, this is a smart move by Price coming to Thrawn for help, because she knows based on his reputation, if there's anyone who can be very tactical and subtle as well about this whole situation, it's Thrawn, where if she hadn't come to him, she probably just would have sent the information onto the ISB as it was, and not knowing that there might be an insider, where we're already seeing the value that Thrawn can play to Price, where I don't think that they would ever become friends, but it's like we're, we're already seeing the value that the asset of Thrawn can be to Price. And I don't know, it's it just... Uh, kind of a humbling moment from Price where she realizes that, you know, this this is out of her hands and the most secure hands that she can put this information is is in Thrawn's. Yeah, absolutely. I think you uh, nailed it spot on, basically. So when Thrawn says that, you know, he would have to wait on giving the information onto the ISB, Price, you know, she's kind of impatient about it, where, you know, she concedes to Thrawn's point where internally she's like, yeah, well, damn, like he's right. <laughs> you know, that there, if there's an insider, that's not going to help me. But she didn't want to be defenseless against Gotti. So she's trying to offer something to Thrawn here to kind of get him to speed up his process with, with um, passing the information on to the ISB, where she says, thinking back to when Thrawn visited the Yincham Dojo, when he was sparring, she had overheard Eli's frustration when Thrawn was promoted and Eli wasn't and she she's kind of laying out the situation from her point of view to Thrawn where she says and I quote the way I read it some of the senators and ministers don't like you you're too good for them to attack directly so they find other ways pressuring the high command to keep your aid from advancing is one putting your ship last in line for repairs is another and that'll lead us to the you know, we'll talk about the the second part of what she said but she kind of confirms, I know in the in the last episode we had talked about if this was a deliberate game from high command to inhibit Eli's progress as to kind of frustrate his relationship with Thrawn and inhibit Thrawn's progress, where she kind of confirms it right there that, yeah, this is the game that's being played. I know that, and I can tell it to you as it is right now. 
Yeah, and I bet she definitely knows, like, some of the people who are involved in that as well, you know, like, directly knows who, which ones are doing it as well. I mean, would you agree, or do you think she's just like, yeah, that's pretty much expected. I don't know who it is, but, yeah, I can pretty much confirm that that's what's happening. Yeah, I, I don't know if she, because we know that she met a lot of politicians in various positions of power when she was under-ranking but I think in this case, it might just be her understanding of the game where she's like, yeah, that's it's to be expected at this point. You know, she can confirm that based on her experience, I think, where this is where she is proving her worth to Thrawn, where she's able to, because you know, Eli kind of suggested that, that scheme at hand to Thrawn, but here Price is able to confirm it where she is regularly on the inside of imperial politics and i think this is a case where she's like yeah i know the game better than anyone and it that's definitely what's happening but she might know some of the people directly involved maybe not well but like when she went to the the pinnacle restaurant with uh, driller and wahir she knew one of like the powerful political figures at every other table uh based on her experience with with ranking so maybe she does but i think Definitely, she's just speaking from experience where it's like, yeah, can confirm, that's how it is. It's just knowing who's in the web, basically. Yeah, definitely, Ian. There's also the second bit of information where we learn that High Command, because we knew that High Command had put the Thunder Wasp, uh, I think it was sent to a shipyard for repairs, and I think that it was set to be ready to redeploy in four weeks' time, I think. And she says here that, yeah, that is another deliberate move to put your ship last in line for repairs. And it brings me back to this counterintuitiveness from High Command where you're keeping potentially your best officer on the sidelines, having a ship last in line for repairs, all for this grudge, all for this plan to take him down. Like, where does it end? And you'd think he'd be first for repairs, especially considering his intelligent reputation, but, you know, there's still stingy people. Exactly. It would make most tactical and logical sense for it, you know, to get Thrawn and his ship out on the, lo- on the front lines as soon as possible, but you know, it's all for the game of revenge, um, which Thrawn is very shocked that this is the case where, you know, Price kind of has one up on Thrawn here, where she came to him because she needed him to pass this information on to Yalaren, but now Thrawn kind of has this, you know, she she has created this situation where Thrawn kind of needs her in order to, to influence some uh, you know dealings in high command to speed up the process of, the, of his ship being repaired. And so it's kind of like we see this mutual gain, uh, this mutual gaining relationship between them now, where Price has spun it so that she admits that she's in this situation because she needs Thrawn's help, but she's able to manipulate it so that he also kind of very much needs her, where, you know, she's kind of restoring some control to herself in this moment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, Thrawn kind of moves along in in gathering information from Price's situation where we can assume that, all right, now he kind of realizes that they both need each other in this point, so he's getting as much information on Gadi as possible. And he asks Price if there's anyone that Gadi hated or feared, and she thought of his comments towards Tarkin and wanting to take him down. And I think this next part is so good, where Thrawn, based on what Price told him, he gives her two recommendations, either to turn that threat 
to Gadi into an ally, or to use the threat, which is Gadi, as leverage to turn Gadi himself into an ally for Price. And he says, and I quote, but remember that in neither case is your new ally likely to be your friend. His association with you will be based solely on fear or need. Fear of what you can do to him, or a need for what you can provide him. And if that's not, you know, for not being adept at politics, that's pretty good from Thrawn, isn't it? I think he's thinking like a military leader at the, at this point, because that's that's pretty much all he knows from growing up in the Chiss, at, at least, is using his military knowledge and thinking, okay, it's a mind game, so what would he do if he was in uh, in their shoes? And, you know, it's just... It's combat in a different way, per se, if that makes sense. It's a chess game, essentially. No, it is. Yeah, exactly. It is a chess game, and 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 I think he's doing a great job of following through on his promise to Eli that he would learn that kind of warfare, where he's taking this political game and turning it into, you know, a, a tactical chess game that he can understand from like a military point of view. Which, like you said, that's what he knows best, and I think. Here, in just in that quote alone, we can see how he's growing better at understanding the political game, uh, where he has a, a new understanding of this. You know, even if it's just looking at it through the lens of combat and and warfare, where I think this also might be a warning to Price here, where because clearly here they're establishing like a professional relationship where. They're now intertwined, and I think this might be... Do you think that this is kind of like a small warning from him to Price to kind of like tell her, hey, this doesn't mean that we're friends, but that, you know, we both have something that the other needs? Yes, absolutely. I think it's like a subtle warning without, like, aiming a gun at her head or anything. It's just like, look, we're in this situation together, but that does not mean we're friends. And by saying that to her, that, you know, Moff... Tarkin isn't her friend. Um, I think she kind of gets the point like that derives from everyone and it follows along the lines of that lone wolf personality she's following. Nobody's her friend. They're just someone that you can work with or use as an ally. And I think at the, with this, how this chapter closes out, I think we get the feeling or at least with, with how this scene closes out, we kind of get the feeling that Price is now both like resigned to that fact, to that truth, and she's also accepted it, where Thrawn tells her, and I quote, if you are to have Colonel Yularen's ultimate support and protection, you may need to turn your back on your colleagues. Are you prepared to do that? And Price's thoughts go, Driller, her boss, Wahir, her roommate, the only two people on Coruscant she knew well. The only people on this planet she'd ever called friends. Absolutely, she said. And that seals the deal, doesn't it? Where not even her friendships are going to get in her way to power. Like, in one word there, where she just says absolutely, that she's willing to throw friendships down and, you know, kind of turn her back on the only two people she can really kind of trust on the whole planet. She's willing to do that now. And she's accepted it. Yeah, exactly. I think you uh, you said it pretty well. But she's moving on, and this is a game changer now as far as how she's going to interact with everyone from here on out, especially uh, Wahir and um, the rest of her colleagues. And we'll see how ruthless she will be to them um, or if she 
will stab them in the back or if she decides to part ways from them or if you know i guess we just have to see you know how she decides to use them or not yeah because i guess both are now suspect where there might be some larger game with higher skies being at play here and based on Thrawn's interactions at the dojo and recognizing Wahir's discomfort at the Imperial officer's presence there, kind of makes us wonder if both Driller and Wahir are, are going to have to be betrayed by Price, if, if they're going to try and get in her way at some point, where, you know, kind of wondering if they're even her friends at all, because both are kind of under the spotlight now. Um, but like you said, from this moment out for Price, she, she is a different character where this kind of like is the turning point for her i think and you know very interested to see how how that plays out with her driller and wahir um but she's willing to do what it takes so in this last scene of the chapter she's at higher sky's office and i think it's late and no one's there she's not worried about anyone being there to interrupt her work but she stayed up all night doing some more research and then she calls moff Gotti. And she told him that Higher Skies is indeed keeping watch on many prolific people, including Grand Moff Tarkin. And Gotti is like, his, you know, he's licking his lips instantly as this, where he's like, oh, I, I need those files on him. Whatever dirt you have, I need that. And, you know, she's got him hooked, <laughs> where he wants that information really bad. And we can tell that this is exactly where Price wants him. And I, I wonder, do you think that she actually has information on Tarkin here? Or do you think this is just her kind of spinning this web of lies that she knows she can get Gotti wrapped up in? I think it's it's her trying to get Gotti wrapped up in this whole thing so that she can make him even more reckless and spill more information to use against him and get out of this little snag that she's in with him, you know, and throw him to the wolves instead of her being thrown in the pit. Yeah, instead of, the, instead of the other way around, definitely. And it was very satisfying to read this part where we can see how desperate Moff Gotti is for any dirt on Tarkin, where Price kind of sits back <laughs> with this smirk on her face where you know, this whole time Gotti has kind of been in control over her. And now the tables have turned and they agree for her to come to Gotti's office to deliver the files on Tarkin. And that's where the chapter ends and, and Gotti is kind of right where Price wants him, and that closes us out. So very interested to see how that plays now, where Price is is now calling the shots, and, and Gotti is kind of, at this point, he might be in a position to be at her mercy, So which is great, because he's just been this bully this whole time, and now we're seeing Price taking the initiative here, and very interested to see what she has got planned for him. Um, yeah, he's getting more reckless and reckless, as we're clearly seeing. Yeah, and it's maybe um, a situation to see who who becomes the most reckless first, because, you know, when you're in that mindset, you're more vulnerable to making mistakes and to see who can keep their cool and see the larger picture. And, you know, right now, you know, price is clearly on top here. So we'll see how that plays out. But that ends chapter 16. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts on the chapter? Uh, I thought this was a great uh, section. I mean, even though it focused uh, mainly on Price, I think that seeing her teach Thrawn some things about the political game that, you know, what the reality is, what they can learn from each other, even though they're not close allies per se, they have a lot to gain from the knowledge that they both have and the tactics that Thrawn has can give to her. And I think we're 
seeing a, a game changer in the book and we're really going to see some um, things go downhill for some people and maybe things are going to quicken up what do you think I mean, definitely, uh, you know, because we are more than halfway through the book now, and I can assume that things are going to hot up really quick. But I don't know, it, it is very interesting to see Price and Thrawn's characters intertwined in a, in a different way than what we've been exposed to in the cup, in their couple of meetings uh, in this book so far, where, you know, we're, we're seeing Thrawn in a case where, you know, his ship being placed last in line and repairs and Eli's lack of promotion, these are things that are out of his control and and we're seeing him kind of needing Price's help here and Price needing Thrawn's help conversely and it's it's kind of new territory and humbling territory for these two characters there I think that last episode you know you, you had said that Thrawn is so used to being in control and the same thing for Price where now we're seeing them kind of yield some control to the other and just very interested to see how they're partnership plays out from here where you know we're hoping that Thrawn can help her take down Gadi and it seems Price is very capable now that she's in the driver's seat or so it seems so it will only get better from here but Chad thank you so much man for coming on for these past two episodes it was great breaking down 15 and 16 it was great having you on the show Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun talking about them. Yeah, a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners so much for listening. If uh, you're interested in following the show on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod. And you can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. A good review on Apple Podcasts is also much appreciated. It helps other listeners who are interested in Star Wars literature to find Outer Rim Reads, so a good review on Apple Podcasts is much appreciated. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is produced by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Andrew Geha, and we will be back in two weeks with episode 10. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Looks like Kenobi's stopped in for a drink. You might want to ask him about that business on Cato Nimodia.